England of Tilburg for Business. And with me is Gavin Kelly, CEO of the Road Freight Association, to talk about the chaos at harbors in South Africa and how it is affecting freight and the roads. Hi, Gavin. So nice to speak to you. Uh, good afternoon, Linda. So can we start with sort of a summary of the situation with regard to freight and how the backlog at Porks is effect- affecting your members? Well, Linda, this has been something that's been coming for a number of years, unfortunately. So there's this huge hue and cry now over this last week and gnawing and gnashing of teeth because suddenly we have these huge queues. And one of the harbors that's being affected is the harbor of Richards Bay, which is up on the northern coast of South Africa. And Richards Bay was primarily built way back when in the early 70s to export coal. So what was then known as RBCT, Richards Bay Coal Terminal, was developed specifically to take coal, as it was developed in those days, it takes different ores now, but in those days to take coal from a train. And a special railway line or a dedicated railway line was built all the way from the heartland of Mpumalanga, as it's known today, so around Ermelo, those places, to bring large amounts of coal via train to the RBCT, the Richards Bay Coal Terminal, to be loaded onto ships. The reason that it was done like that was for an, a number of good sound principles globally applied, which is if you have a single cargo and it's point to point, so you, you dig it out of a mine in this case, and you're going to take it to a place where it's going to go overseas like a harbor, then you build dedicated infrastructure. You can get your cost per ton kilometer down, make it very cheap, and you have something that does nothing else. That's all it does, runs backwards and forwards. And in those days, and I think even to this day, Richards Bay Coal Line, the railway line, is known for having world-class wagons and world-class lengths of trains and really doing well. Well, that was the story until a couple of years ago. So what has happened in the last couple of years is that the line has started to drop in terms of efficiency. And I think the latest figures from Transit, I'm just having a quick squiz on another PC. The latest figures at Transit was something like like 49 to 48% of what the line can, can carry. Now, if you're supposed to carry 80 million tons a year and you're only doing 39, 38 million tons, and you've sold that other, and let's just round it off, 40 million tons, how are you going to get it out to your market? And hence, the only other option, the only alternative, I mean, you don't want to fly it down, obviously, is to put it onto a truck and to truck it down to the port of Richards Bay. So that's why we have these huge queues or long queues of trucks. The reason why there's queuing, I mean, a lot of people have said, well, it's a, it's a coal export harbor. How come the trucks aren't just going in, you know, and dumping it and coming out and there's just this sort of seamless, efficient movement of trucks. Well, the reason for that is that, first of all, the trucks have to get into the port and and they come via road. And the process of getting vehicles into the port isn't as fast as it would be this dedicated train. Because the port since the 70s has grown, it now takes other cargoes, there's wood chips, there's timber, there's various other cargoes, other keys or wharves have been built. So it's not just coal. And coal is on the far side of the harbor. If anyone's been to Richards Bay, the entrance to the harbor is on the so-called eastern side of it towards where, where the town is itself, the municipality. And the coal terminal is on the other side of the harbor. So you need to 
take a rather lengthy way to get round to that coal harbour. I don't know if they've built a bridge on the Boom Wall. I grew up in Richards Bay many, many years ago, so I don't know what it looks like now. But obviously, there's a process of getting into the harbour. You have to get past everybody else. And now you need to dump that coal somewhere. You can't dump it where the train dumps because you can't get into that area. And you now have all these trucks shuttling backwards and forwards and what have you. And trucks obviously fill up the harbour quickly. Trucks outside are now in a queue. They can't get in and hence these long queues. So that's it sort of in a nutshell. Sure. So, but that's been coming a long time. Why does it seem as though it's really built up to a crisis now? Well, you're asking the difficult questions I've been asking, I think. We've raised our hand differently from the road freight industry, mines, the guys who actually send the coal out of the country, who bring in the revenue for the country, and various other industries have raised their hands over at least the last 10 years, probably the last five years, six years in desperation as we've seen some of the core corridors start to collapse. So, for example, the so-called Richards Bay coal line, this this railway link that links the harbour to the heart of Mpumalanga, it's now called the, I think, the multi, the Eastern Corridor Multi-Ore Line because it takes other ores as well down to Richards Bay. As I said earlier on, it wasn't just coal anymore. I think this iron ore, manganese and chrome and things like that. But the mines have, because they picked up probably the issue a lot faster than we did. The only time we kind of got involved, which is was when the mines turned around and said, well, we can't use rail, will you guys send some trucks? So, of course, we said, yes, okay, sure. But the mines have been raising the red flag for a number of years. So the question is, Linda, how come, how come has nothing been done? How is this line allowed to reduce in capacity? And that's really where the problem lies. The harbour a couple of years ago had a problem in its loaders. There were conveyor belts that burnt. And I remember getting onto the airwaves and lambasting the guys who operated that, RBCT. And there were all sorts of, of, of excuses and blah, 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 blahs. But the bottom line is this, is that those who are responsible for the various bits of infrastructure and the various uh, keys in our whole logistic supply chain are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So Transnet should have easily, a year or three ago, said we're heading for a disaster. I'm sure they must have seen it and come up with some sort of a plan. And that's what we are saying now. If you cannot get this right, and remember, this affects the whole country. It doesn't just affect the mines because exporting and importing through ports involves all sorts of industries. Everyone's affected. There are container ships sitting off the port of Durban, and now we hear there's something like 70,000 containers that, that are stuck either going in or out. But it affects everybody. And and what we are saying is, is the Road Freight Association is we can no longer let state-owned entities that have proven to be absolutely useless to run these sort of crucial logistical nodal points and infrastructure points Give it to the private sector. Let us get this back up and running. So I don't know why Transnet's only raised it now. Well, um, we can look at some of the other ports just now, but what are the queues are at Richards Bay? Because I've seen pictures. My family lives in the area, and they said the road suddenly, this little town, you know it, you grew up there, uh, used to have these quiet roads, are just congested because of the trucks. So how, how far is the backlog? Well... Years ago, there was a road called the John Ross Highway, which was a, a small two-lane road. 
Um, I hear it's a little bit bigger now, but we hear that that John Ross Highway is full of trucks all the way up and into Imbangeni. Now, Imbangeni isn't just one kilometer away. Uh, my, my mind doesn't isn't good with me to allow me to to remember how far away Imbangeni is, but I think it's a good 20 odd k's away, um, maybe a little bit less. But that's all choked up all the way to the so-called N2. Now, if if the N2, then that's probably the bridge over the Mshlatuzi, so that's in that Inkoleni Valley or Mshlatuzi Valley, sorry. So there's a queue of trucks at least 15 kilometers long trying to get into the port. And, and then, of course, you, you've got the other trucks trying to get out. So that's choked up the road all the way almost into, into the heart of the city. Uh, so that means if you were trying to get to Arborita, Mombira and Sia or whatever, that road has now got trucks standing uh, on either side. And, of course, there are a lot of people who work in the port. There are a lot of other things that need to get into the port health services, other types of commodities, et cetera, et cetera. So the everyday life of people who need to use that piece of road is probably not pleasant. And the situation at the other ports, Durban, what do you hear from Durban, Cape Town? Well, The border to, to the Mozambique apparently has problems? Yes, well, I, you know, somebody asked me earlier on today, um, so why don't we just send the coal somewhere else? Why is it such a problem? Well, First of all, we want to send the coal through our ports because it keeps the cost of that commodity down. And that's why Richards Bay is there. Now we have trucks that are all mines. It's, it's not the trucking companies. It's the owner of the commodity who decides how it goes and where it goes. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. They think, you know, the truck driver or the truck owner decides, well, today I'm going to go to Richards Bay and tomorrow I'm going to go to Cape Town or whatever the case may be. So the owner of the coal, the person who's, entered into agreement with the, the customer, the global customer, has to choose the most efficient, and I use efficient inverted commas now under these circumstances, but the most efficient method of getting his or her product out. So it's Richards Bay or it's Limbombo. If your mines are all in Mpumalanga, the next nearest port for you is going to be Maputo. So you now find the Limbombo border pass, that's the border pass close to Komati, now has queues of trucks there as well because once again, just like the Ported Richards Bay, that border post wasn't designed to take this sort of volume. And that's really what's kiboshing everything is that we suddenly have these huge, huge numbers of trucks appearing at various points to try and get this cargo through. And the processes at those various points, either like the port wasn't built to take trucks or like the like the uh, Limbomba border post, wasn't built to take these sort of masses of vehicles and getting these vehicles across. And many of our border posts are single-lane type border posts at the actual crossing, not at where the clearing is done. So there are a couple of things that need to be done around that. Durban, we have had, again, for a number of years, exacerbated by those immense floods we had a couple of years ago that destroyed literally some of the terminals, destroyed the road network into the port, and again, it's when things like that happen that we suddenly find, whoops, we've only got one access point in and out of the port. And when a disaster happens, what is plan B? Well, there was plan B, but it's now been built up housing. You know, whoever the developer was thought, well, we've never had chaos. We're never going to need this road. And they've closed the, the other access roads. So we now have cases like in Durban where there's backlog from a num for a number of reasons. And we have backlog because of strikes, because of natural disasters, et cetera, et cetera. 
And suddenly we come to a situation like in Durban where there are reports in, in, in a number of media that there's something like 70,000 containers standing out, standing out either on the water or waiting to get out. So that port has a huge problem. There have been discussions in ad finitum about how we would modernize the port and turn the port around. It, it, it is currently the largest port in Africa. I think we're going to lose that because we just can't get our act together. And a couple of months ago, three to four months ago, from what I can recall, there was a Filipino company that had been signed up with Transnet in terms of taking over one of the terminals and changing things around, and we were going to learn from what happens around the world. Naught has come of that. Cape Town, Cape Town's a difficult port, and it's not just because it's in Cape Town. <laughs> Cape Town's a difficult port. It's a deep water port, but it also has a lot of weather issues. But again, we have similar sort of challenges around the workforce and around the processes of getting vehicles in and out. Unfortunately for us, our towns have grown up around most of our ports and choked them. That was the reason for the development of Kucha, which was the deep water port on the other side of what then was uh, Port Elizabeth's other port. So if we wanted to get to efficient and really uh, well-working, well, I suppose that's efficient, uh, fast freight through the ports. We have to look at what's around the world. So you look at the Hamburgs and the Rotterdams and the Shanghais, San Francisco, as you can name them. And some of those ports have got large areas outside of the port that they allow freight to move in and out because you don't want the choking point to be at the quayside or in the stacks, which is what we're experiencing in Durban and in Cape Town to a large degree. What you want to do is evacuate, which means get all containers and whatever, evacuate the port to either a depot or another holding area where you can then interface with whatever land mode you need, trucks or trains, and you can get your imports in. So, for example, Hamburg and Rotterdam have different systems. They have a ring of trucks running in the one or a small rail running in the other where boxes, go, we call containers boxes, boxes go out. And on that same train or truck, the new export box comes in and comes straight back into the harbor. So you've got this seamless, continuous flow of a transport mode and, and the containers, the boxes continuously moving. That's what we need to do. Unfortunately, most of the ground around all of our ports is taken up. There is that, that old airport down in Durban, which was going to be the so-called dugout port, but I think that's going to cost so much money. It's not really feasible in the short term. So we need to look at inland dry land ports, as they're so called, and there are four or five of them around Durban. So in the short of it, Linda, and this sounds like a political speech, not meant to be, in the short of it is what we need to do, and this is what the RFA has been saying. If those who've been in charge of these SOEs haven't been able to make sure that these run efficiently, sustainably, then we need to change, hand it over to private sector. If it's concessions or whatever it is, hand it over. Let's get our act together. Let's get these ports working. We can always then down the line look at whether they go back into SOEs or whatever the case may be. But our revenue, our exports and our imports are suffering. And of course, there's the specter that the shipping lines, and they've already made some noises about dropping containers off at, I think, Seychelles, Mauritius, Mauritius. wherever it may be. We've already seen some movement to Volfers Bay. We've seen some movement to Bayer. We've seen movement to Maputo. You hear about this development of Lobito and Angola where they're developing a new port. Why is that? It's because the South African ports 
are becoming a problem. Well, um, Translate announced a plan on Monday. Do you think what they said, or well, to start addressing this, do you think what they said will make any difference? And they said it would take a couple of months until next year to clear the backlog at ports. Do you think it's going to make a difference? We've heard that so many times, and you know, I'll be the first one to say, well, let's give them a chance. How long are we going to, and how often are we going to give them a chance? Um, I, I'm very concerned. They talk about a backlog of something like six months at the ports. Um, I, I don't know if that's really true. Is it is it two or three months? What is the real backlog? We look at ships standing offshore. Again, there have been reports, and when you try to verify them, it seems to become quite difficult, but we've heard about ships standing off offshore for 14 to 21 days. We've heard about ships for a couple of months. Now, whether that's true or not, let's leave that out. That sounds very dramatic. Let's say a couple of days. And we know the shipping companies are now charging uh, delay fees or demurrage fees, mm. or penalties, call them what you want, of between, depending, I suppose, on, on what their timeline is and what their pressures are, between 50 to 200,000 US dollars a day. Now, who's paying for that? Um, we just, you know, and, and even if we had the buckets of money to pay that and laugh it off, the problem is everyone else around the world is going to say, well, if I'm going to ship something into South Africa, there's at least a 14-day offshore, delay offshore, and then into the port, then there's a strike now, then there's a that, then there's load shedding, blah, 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 blah. A couple of years ago, we used to laugh at, at Dar, Dar es Salaam, because you'd come, you'd come quayside there, and it would take 21 days to clear your container out of the port, and we all laughed. They're now down to seven days. We're going the opposite direction. And now if you add extra amount of time for ships to stand everywhere. So I, Linda, sincerely hope that they have got a workable solution. I must admit that my my enthusiasm is somewhat tempered. So um, how are you helping your members at the moment with these problems? Well, it's, it's actually very difficult. We place pressure where we can. Uh, we raise awareness where we can. We obviously have meetings with the various authorities that are involved and the RFA is now after its comments in open media over the last couple of days has been asked to meet with the various CEOs of various SOEs. We have put proposals on the table. We have put solutions on the table. When the new minister was appointed, I actually wrote a couple of uh, proposals and uh, when I congratulated on an appointment, I said to you, I wasn't sure whether I should congratulate or commiserate with you. Um because the troubles have been coming a long, long time. So we've put some things on the table. Unfortunately, we get an, a number of points of resistance. The first is that private sector just wants to take everything over and make money. Well, you know what? The private sector isn't there to make money, and money produces taxes. And with taxes, we can do a lot more in the country. Schools, you name it, health, all that good type of thing. So making money is, is really not a problem. Secondly, we want to bring in competition. So... A lot of these infrastructure nodes, the ports and the rails, are, are monopolies. They're state monopolies. And they seem to be able to not perform continuously with no real detriment to whoever's in charge. We've had a couple of resignations, but I think those good people saw the writing on the wall. Um, so we've made, we make proposals. We have access to a lot of associations around the world in good practice. We present those. Uh, in terms of customs, we've done 
have proposed and designed a lot of things that SaaS Customs today has implemented. So we're quite prepared to work together with the various authorities and entities to get things to work. And that's the important thing. If things start to work, it'll generate more activity through our ports, through our infrastructure, through our rail, will generate far more revenue, and more importantly, will generate far more work. That's an important thing for our country as well. So um, finally, your solution is let the private sector sort out this mess and maybe one day we can give it back to the SAEs. Yeah, we've got to be careful about saying let the private sector sort out the mess because that isn't the idea. The government's already a couple of months ago said, oh, we must come with 200-odd billion rand. Now we're getting 200-odd billion dollars from the Chinese and they were going to do... Funding isn't the only solution here. It is not the silver bullet. It's going to be how you manage that funding, but how you manage the operations is key. Yes, some of it is going to cost a fair amount of money, but just brand new equipment, calling something something new and giving brand new equipment doesn't mean the operation and the attitude is going to change, and that's important. So it's important that the private sector gets involved to change the day-to-day operations. There's going to need to be some sort of investment. But private sector, I can tell you, our members are not going to put a dime in there. If they don't have control of how it's spent, they don't have control of making the decisions that will turn these entities around. Then it's just good money off to bat. Gavin Kelly, CEO of the Road Freight Association, thanks so much for speaking to us. Hey, you're more than welcome, Linda. Regards to everyone out there. Thank you.